Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is have, this is what people norm, most associate with you on on Nick's Twitter. Yeah. Very, uh, very cheerful, nice guy. Calm. Tell Could that close. to Tommy D. Nobody talks to Tommy D. Uh, but we are joined by our favorite Minnesotan, Minnesota, a Minnesota. We'll call you Minnesota. Our favorite Minnesota. He is now the newly coined. Elected coup d'état uh, editor, site editor, whatever the fuck you want to call it, for Canis Hoopus. You know him as Jack Borman. Jack, how are you doing? I'm Jack. good, man. Um, it's it's been it's been a crazy crazy time having the Wolves back in the playoffs, but uh, de- definitely a fun one for sure. How uh, did the coup um, for you to take over the site? It went. It went all according to plan. I wouldn't say it went all according to plan. I tried to get rid of like three or four writers that I was forced to <laughs> that I was forced to keep. No, I'm just kidding. Every everything went went well. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm very excited about it, and uh, yeah, it, it should be it should be a ton of fun, especially considering that um, that we've got some fun stuff going on with the links this summer, and then the wolves finally for the maybe the first time in my life feel like they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, I remember that feeling last year uh, for the Knicks. But hopefully things work out better for you going into next year. But before we get started, I do need to make an announcement that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pot Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the Knicks talk never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 here that gets you access to my solo pod, Strick and Roll, if you want to listen to me yell about the Knicks even more. More importantly, you get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Hundley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with additional benefits like discounts on merchandise, live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, You know, Jack, while you're here, figure we can talk a little bit about the Wolves, who had quite the season. Um, Losing the first round, personally thought that was a series that they easily could have won, maybe even should have won. Um, but I guess, you know, just looking at the team as a whole, what 
stood out to you, I guess, as like the biggest um, driver of success this season? I guess in the sense of what do you think was the biggest reason that this team went from a lottery team into a competitive playoff roster? Um, given, I, I don't think there was too much turnover uh, between seasons. Uh, I think, what, you got Beverly and that's – is that basically the only big move that was made this offseason? Yeah, pretty much. Everything else was was just in-house development. Um, yeah, that we traded um, Jarrett Culver and Juancho Aaron and Gomez uh, to the Grizzlies for Patrick Beverly, uh, which uh, objectively is a heist. I don't know any other way you can slice that trade. Uh, and really changed the entire fabric of the culture of the team and, and just the identity of the team. Um, so I, I'd say the biggest driver for why the Timberwolves were successful this season uh, the easy answer is Carl Anthony Towns, but the more nuanced answer is that the Timberwolves played a defensive scheme that that fit their roster much better. Um, and they had a discussion with some of the players that, that were on the team last season uh, ahead of this season, asking them, hey, you know, what would you guys rather play on defense? You know, talking about different schemes. And they all said that they wanted to play more of a a high wall concept. Um, and that's what they did. They were really aggressive defensively. Um, I, I think this season they're either number one or number two in turnovers forced um, and, and right up there in points off turnovers uh, as well. So, so they just made things a lot easier for themselves offensively with, with their defense. And that hadn't been the case in the past. Um, the Timberwolves, I want to say they were like, they finished like 13th or 15th in defense this season after finishing bottom five last year. Um, simply just because they, they played a defense that better fit what they were trying to do. And, and getting one of the better defensive players in the league and, and Patrick Beverly certainly helped with that. Um, but I think Carl took a, took a huge step forward as well. He, he was much more impactful defensively um, just because he's a better defender in space than he is as a standard, uh, you know, big defender, if you will. Um, so, so those were really the, the two main factors, just getting, getting a more engaged um cat with with a coach that really knows how to get the best out of him um in the defensive scheme were, were the two biggest drivers because like you said there, there really wasn't much um you know roster change ahead of the year which, which is something that should be encouraging i think um for the wolves that they were able to take such a such a huge step forward um with, with internal development and with you know guys like like anthony edwards and jane mcdaniels like 20 and 21 respectively um, the, the future is pretty bright. They, they've got they've got a lot to look forward to here. Uh, I, just kind of on that whole note, right? Um, I think that we're I, I, you know we're talking about the wolves, and I definitely want to keep the focus on that. But as a Knicks fan, I think we you know Knicks fans are you know, obviously this was a disappointing season, but pretty excited about the young core. I do think what's missing is like a no doubt about it star, right? Uh, and I think the Wolves have that, right? I think that they actually, in my opinion, they do have two, but the shine, I, you know, and I, I think if you have a cat defense, I'd love to hear it. Cause I know, uh, Schwinn is a little bit, uh, has been critical of him, but shifting away from cat, the, the Wolves young core includes a, a bona fide star, someone who may be an MVP one day in Anthony Edwards. How much does that change how optimistic you would be? And if you didn't have Ant, but you had like, McDaniels and a couple of other guys who are good, solid contributors, but you know, not that kind of player. How much does that transform, you know, your view on on the young guys? 
Yeah, I, I think Ant does Ant does a lot. Um, and what people haven't really noticed, uh, which is fine. I mean, it's Minnesota. You wouldn't really expect them to. Um, is Ant really took a huge step forward defensively this season. Uh, last year, he was really, you know, disengaged off the ball, didn't pay attention a whole lot, um, you know, missed rotations frequently. And even from the first preseason game this year, he just looked way more locked in. And, and that was that was super evident. And uh, really tried to, to be aggressive defensively to, to try and create runout situations for himself to get going offensively. Um, and so that's been huge. And to have a guy like Ant with such a high, not just offensive ceiling, but defensive ceiling as well, because of how quick he is laterally, you know, how strong he is both in his legs and his upper body. Uh, you know, he, he's defended job ja better than almost anybody in the league this season. Uh, you know, Jaws numbers are probably the worst against the Timberwolves of any team in the league this season. Uh, and, and that's that's what excites me the most. Like, yes, Ant is a, is a tremendous offensive player that has a ton of upside creating his own shot. There's um, a is a pretty wide array of, of dribble moves to get into his shot. Um, obviously, is an otherworldly athlete. But but if he can really excel defensively, um you know, it really gives the Wolves more flexibility to, you know, ha have a point guard that doesn't need to be, you know, a really, really good defender. Um, so they can have, you know, a more offensively focused point guard, um, which is a huge question mark coming into to this offseason. So, and, and like you said, just to have a guy like McDaniels as well is, you know, those are two guys that can switch probably one through five. Um, you know, maybe you don't want, any of those guys on on a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic type, but most fives I don't think are, you know, going to just consistently beat them every single time they get a switch, which is which is cool. Um, and Cat's obviously a better defender in space, like I said, than he is inside, and he can he can switch onto guards pretty well too. So you've got a, a pretty good core in there um, defensively, and looking at that through a playoff lens, I think that's obviously important just because. You know, if the three guys that are at the core of your team, you can't hunt defensively and they're actually good defensively. Um, now, that's that's really special in addition to the, the obvious offensive talent that they have. So de definitely adds to the excitement for sure to have <laughs> just a guy that you can take it to the bank is going to be, you know, a super duper star in, in the NBA. Um. You think Cat can't be hunted on defense? I don't. I don't know. Um, and, and the reason for that is because Cat Cat's shown a lot this year that when he gets switched onto in space, uh, that he's actually held his own very very well. Um, you know, he, he's really long, and he does a good job of you know giving guys space uh, because he knows that he can close out quickly and, and take away space on a jump shot. Um, but he also knows that, you know, if he's just going to crowd a guy, that he's going to get called for a foul, he's going to reach, he's going to, you know, not be able to stick with somebody. And um, and because of that, I just think it, it's tougher to really go after him. And at any rate, I mean, anyways, like in the, in the playoffs, we're seeing a lot of these, you know, guard to guard switches to get, uh, you know, guys in that hunting position. Uh, you just don't see it a lot with big guys. Um, and... A lot of players in the NBA these days are just really prone to settle for jump shots and they have a big on them for whatever reason. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I think that's 
kind of uh, a, a thing that Cat's got going for him is that you know guys aren't really going to try and blow by him. And the nice thing is if they do, you've got you know guys like Jared McDan or excuse me Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniel's kind of in that low man spot to try and rotate over and, and cause some problems at the rim. Um, I guess for me, I, I, I think Cat's fine on switches. Like I, that's probably the thing about him. I don't really have a concern about, um, but the cat's but, out of the bag now. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like Memphis in a lot of ways was a very good defensive matchup for him. Um, in the sense that like, other than Bane, who are you really worried about killing you from the perimeter? Jaren. Um, I mean, Jaren's like a 33% shooter. The cannonball know. shooter? Yeah. You want I, me to be worried about yeah, him? Yeah, but I mean, you can, you can see the problems that he's caused for Gold State this series. They've tried Wiggins on him. And he scored he has 12 the fucking points in the last game. What are we talking about? He, he, he had one good game the in the playoffs. He had, a, he had one good game in the playoffs. They have Congrats. struggled to put Wiggins on him. He can drive from the perimeter. Um, he's not really a guy you want to leave wide open, and um, and he's strong. So like, if you guard him with a guard, he's capable of bullying them at the, at the rim. All I'm saying is like that is someone who is a dangerous threat. So yeah, I just don't think he's that. If Jaron Jackson's going to be out there launching threes, I think you take that. And you, yeah, but he can do more than that. Me. That's why he can drive. Right? This isn't Steve Novak we're talking. About. Right, but what I'm talking about specifically is like shooters. Cat can stay at home in a series like that in a lot of ways because you're not worried about them stretching you out on the perimeter defensively. Whereas I think if you put him in a series against a team like Golden State, that does more than just mismatch hunt. Um, or rather, I should say they mismatch hunt in ways that go beyond, you know, set screen. Okay, get the switch. Okay, now ISO. Tibbs ball. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think Memphis did a lot of that. I mean, that's basically what Memphis's offense is to me, is a lot of mismatch hunting. Like, I'm not very impressed with their half-court offense. Um, I think Ja just kind of driving headfirst into defenses is more or less like the crux of their half-court offense. Um, and and Swin, Swin, just just to jump in there, super quick, I, I completely agree on their half court stuff. And in some research I did before the before the Minnesota Memphis series, like Ja only averaged one and a half assists per game on the drive, and he averaged like twenty drives a game. And the fact that he was so bad at passing on the on the drive relative to how often he drove um, it is a huge problem for them moving forward because Minnesota just sagged off of everybody and essentially had five guys in the paint whenever he drove. And when he was able to get the ball out, you know, that's when you started to see Bain get loose. Dylan Brooks would shoot these rainbows that fell through. But I agree. Like, they, they don't really have a whole lot in terms of half-court offense other than, you know, like Bain shooting over a screen and Ja driving downhill. They were bottom 10 in the in that league in half-court offense this the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, they're just – I thoroughly do not enjoy watching them play at all. I think they're a miserable team to watch. Um, like, they're really good at offensive rebounding. Cool. Like, I don't know why that's such a fun thing for people. Um, I feel like I'm missing out on some, you know, some secret that everybody else is in on when they talk about this Memphis team being super fun. Um, but anyway, I don't want to go too far down that path. Um, but, you know, just getting back to Cat, I, I, I guess, like, where I'm just 
not as sold on him. As far as, look, like I said before the season, he was going to make an All-NBA team. I think he's almost certainly going to make an All-NBA team, which he deserves, quite frankly. I think he had that good of a regular season. Um, I guess I'm just still like, I just have seen enough games of his still where if you put him in pick and roll and you're not just switching, which like, look, you can switch, but obviously you're not just going to always switch. Um, like you put him in other actions and you have to make, and if he has to make like two or three reads consistently in a possession, um, I still think he struggles a lot in that sense, but to Minnesota's credit. And I think this is where like their roster construction is very interesting. Um, and and this is probably why like McDaniel's in a lot of ways might be the most important player as far as unlocking a championship ceiling for the team. Um is like they have acquired and developed and drafted and whatever a lot of these long active perimeter guys, and specifically at the four, I I know Vanderbilt has plenty of flaws. Um obviously offensively just cannot shoot at all uh basically with like a non-factor in that series in that sense um but like he's a really active help defender uh and mcdaniels is obviously super long he's also a really good help defender and having those type of players next to cat i think helps cover up some of those flaws and so i guess like it's more of a semantic thing, but I don't necessarily agree that they have three guys that you can't take advantage of on defense. But I do think that very specifically McDaniels has the ability to cover up some of the stuff that I think Cat will most likely always struggle with defensively um, because of his length, because of his activity and his switchability. Just like, I, I think McDaniels yeah. is a really, really good player yeah. defensively. And I think he... I just think like when I watch them, I'm like, okay, that guy, if he can, if he can pop, and I think he might have tweeted this today or yesterday about some of his like off the dribble stuff, and that's obviously like the next step for him offensively is right. being able to consistently produce something off the dribble because right now like most of his shit is you know catch and shoot threes and attacking off closeouts, um, but like yeah, I mean if you start projecting out like McDaniel's is a guy that I think you could be really excited about. I did a podcast yesterday with um, Chris Persianen on uh, Nick's film school. And we were just talking about, you know, where would quickly go in a 2020 redraft. And I was saying like one of the only guys taken after quickly that I would even consider putting over him would be like, like that I could understand people right. picking over him is McDaniels. Like McDaniels and Bain were the two that I came up yep. with. Um, yeah. And I just think like McDaniels is a really, really intriguing player. And, I feel like a lot of people just discovered him during the playoffs, but I, I, I thought, I thought he sucked at the start of the season. Quite frankly, I was like very unimpressed. He did, yeah. And then, like when you watched him over the second half of the season, he was, it was like, wow, this looks like a totally different guy. Yeah, the role definition I think was important for McDaniel's. Like he, he started, um, he started in some games near the beginning of the year, and and Finch moved him to the bench, and that's kind of what changed everything because it kind of forced him to be more aggressive offensively, and he started to attack closeouts more. He started to, instead of catching the ball if he didn't have a shot, instead of just looking to pass right away, he caught it in more of a triple threat threat position and started attacking much smaller defenders. 
because uh, teams were guarding him with a lot of guards uh, because he just wasn't taking advantage of those uh, of those matchups. And he started to do that more and, and became a much tougher cover for uh, for bench players and ultimately really gained his confidence heading into uh, you know, right near the end of the season when he had a high ankle sprain and missed, you know, two or three weeks and then came back, I think like three games before the end of the regular season. But his confidence was still there going into the playoffs. And, and that's what you saw. Um, but yeah, what, what what McDaniel said after game six was, um, you know, he really wants to improve his game off the dribble. So he wants to get even better with attacking closeouts and initiating pick and roll stuff, but also just being able to size up defenders and, and get downhill. So I, I agree. I, I think McDaniels is the biggest wild card in the Wolves. Um, like, you you go look at his contract. Like, Jaden McDaniels is only owed, I want to say, a little more than $4 million over the next two years. Um, so, I mean, his his extension is going to be a fascinating one. But, yeah, and you touched on it with Vanderbilt, too. Like, Vander, we put Vanderbilt at the point of attack. Like, when he played Golden State, he guarded Curry to start the game. So he's a guy that can really guard one through five legitimately. Um, and the, the biggest thing with Vanderbilt is he just kind of gets punished a little bit on the offensive glass um, when he tries to, you know, try and box out guys that are way bigger than him. And you saw problems with that in, in the Memphis series, specifically Brandon Clark. So um, the, the two biggest downfalls with those guys next to Cat is that neither of them are, are good or great, like defensive rebounders. Um, Vanderbilt's a terrific offensive rebounder, but, um, just isn't there on the defensive side. So, um, yeah. And, and ultimately what I was saying with, with the core three there of, of Edwards, McDaniels and Cat, like, sure, you can probably take advantage of a bad you know, matchup every now and again, but they're not guys where you enter into a playoff series being like, ah, well shit, you know, we just have this one really glaring liability in a guy that we need to have on the floor all the time. So I, I guess you could say they're a liability in that both those guys foul a ton, but I don't think any either of them are, are bad enough defenders where, you know, at the end of the game, we're like, hey, we want to get a switch onto that guy and go after that guy. So, but yeah, I mean, McDaniels, McDaniels is, is definitely exciting in terms of what he's shown he can do uh, on both ends of the floor. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility, eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You know, we've talked a lot about the guys on the team that, you know, definitely are kind of part of the future. Um, and somebody, you know, I came on, uh, I think it was the Game 5 live stream that you did with you. And, you know, I was not aware of it. But it obviously, you know, you, you seem to indicate that, you know, D'Angelo Russell was somebody that 
could be moving in the offseason. And obviously, I think with the way that series ended where he was not on the floor at the end of game six, that hints at that. Um, and I guess just like, you know, look, I, I, I said this to you um, on that live stream. I've mentioned it to a few people since then. But like, I, I've never been a huge D'Angelo Russell fan. I've been very skeptical of him consistently throughout his career. And understandably I, so. Yeah, and, I, and I've just always thought, like, this is not a player who has the reading of the game to really move the needle. And um, I actually was really impressed with him this season. I thought, in a lot of ways, he added a level of, like, calmness and maturity um, to their offense at times because, as you know, like, Cat and Ant especially, like, they can get wild at times. And, like, that's part of what makes them such explosive scoring talents. But, like, there is a downside to that at times. Um, and especially with Ant, like, he's a second-year player, so it's not, you know, it's not a crisis. But, like, he has these stretches. I mean, during that series, there were so many times where, like, he'd get a switch and then he just takes a pull-up three. And I'm like, dude, you're, like, built like a brick shit house, and nobody can stick with you. Just go to the fucking rim. Um, but, like, that's part of, you know, his development. But uh, I just thought, like, D'Lo, and I, he didn't have a good series. Um, shooting the ball especially, but, like, I thought his decision-making that was good in the regular season, I thought it let him down at the end of a few... I think, in particular, I want to say game three and game five, I thought he was really bad at the end of those games, um, disappointingly. But um, I guess, like, what did you see from him this year? And, you know, as far as him moving, uh, is that more about you know, needing to kind of evolve as a team? Is it about cap ramifications and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I agree completely. Like, I so I, I was a big D'Lo fan when he was in Brooklyn. Um, I, I just enjoyed watching him play and admittedly kind of became more enamored with him when obviously the, the rumors started flying around about Minnesota and all that. Um, and, and D'Lo finally kind of, I, I guess, paid off that, that excitement this season and that, uh, he kind of under, understood his role better. He jived pretty well with Ant and Cat offensively. Um, you know, he, like, like you said, he was just a, a an evidently calming presence. Um, and, and that was really important. And, um, you know, for a team that's as young as the, as the Wolves are and, had a tendency to get too high and too low, um, you know, just through the course of the regular season. Uh, I, I think he was just kind of a stabilizing guy. And defensively, he had his best year of his career because he was playing more of this free safety role uh, that, you know, allowed him to use his length more instead of have to guard on the ball and did, did a great job of that. Um, he's, a, he's an extremely vocal guy on the floor, and that's something that is really tough to tell on TV, but it's really evident when you're there. Uh, so the media seat that I have, you know, I'm right there behind nice the flex. bike, behind the, <laughs> behind the bike <laughs> right next to the Wolves bench, and he rides the bike all the time. So he's right in front of my face. Um, and you can hear him calling out a bunch of different stuff, talking to guys on the bench, and that stuff matters. Um, so that was something that I was really impressed with D'Lo with this year. And I guess what was frustrating for me was, you know, in, in the regular, or excuse me, in the, in the, uh, in the regular season, 
if you just looked at the team that D'Angelo Russell had the highest average points plus rebounds plus assists against, it was the Grizzlies. So it was really odd. He averaged 31 points a game and seven assists in four games against the Grizzlies. So it was really odd that he struggled as much as he did. But but Memphis evidently, you know, tried to take him away in that series. Um, and, and that culminated, obviously, in, in game six, like you said, with, with his benching. And, and I fully supported that at the time. Like Jordan McLaughlin, uh, I think, fits what Chris Finch wants to do. Finch talks all the time about, you know, you've got to use the first 10 seconds of the shot clock as effectively as you can. You've got to get into your action. If the first action, you should already be, you know, done with your first action in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. Um, so that you can start getting the ball to the second side, attacking from there, running a, a you know a secondary action. Um, and McLaughlin is great with that. Um, so nobody created more open corner threes this year, um, you know, on a on a per thirty six minute basis than Jordan McLaughlin did, um, which is which is pretty incredible. Um, it was either that or the swing from when he was off the floor versus when he was on the floor was the biggest. Um, and so that, that's big for a team like Minnesota that has good corner shooters and Beasley, McDaniels, um, Ant, and D'Lo. So, um, so when you look at the fact that McLaughlin is probably a better fit with what Finch wants, um, you kind of start thinking like, okay, well, is D'Lo the guy that would go? And you start to evaluate that. But, but I think what you have to look at is D'Lo, this was a contract year for D'Lo. This contract is is going to be an expiring contract this upcoming season. And just with most guys who sign a rookie max, you know, it's really tough for those guys to come back down to not being a max player, if that makes sense. Like they, they still think they're a max guy. And so I, I would I would personally be surprised if those two sides were able to come to an agreement on an extension. Um, like I would love to sign Delo to like a four for 80 or four for 85 contract. I think that would be great. Uh, but I just don't know that, that D'Lo would be willing to do that. Um, Can you, you think know, of an example of a player who did maybe go to rookie max and then, I mean, it's probably in Wiggins' future. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Friend of the pod, like. Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that's a good question, Stacey. I, I can't off the top of my head. Um, you know, and it's 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 a tough thing to try and evaluate. Like trying to project what Delo's extension would be is is crazy. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Delo kind of sees the writing on the wall of that. Like you're going to get traded if you don't, you know, accept something a little less and prove that you're willing to be, you know, the number three guy or the, in this in this machine. And if he's not willing to do that, then I think you kind of, the decision is made for you of like, okay, then maybe this isn't the guy that we want on our team anyways. Um, you know, and, and, and D'Lo has been really, really good in, in Horn's action and, and he's a versatile player and Finch can use him in a lot of different ways. He's underrated as a screener because he's six, five uh, and that helps, but you know, it, he's just not a, a pure, you know, floor general type point guard and I think you saw the glaring need for that down the stretch of of that of the fourth quarter in those Memphis games is that the Wolves offense just kind of they all looked at each other and pooped their pants and didn't know what to do and I thought game five was a little bit more encouraging they kept getting switches for Ant so he could attack John Tyus Jones and he just didn't make shots um so I I don't know what what would you guys do if if you were the Wolves 
Um, I trade Ant for Julius Randle. Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> do that. Uh, I, I I had mentioned this when I came on uh, your live stream, but like, like I don't think Minnesota will trade D'Lo for Randle, but that isn't like it's not insane to me to consider it. Like I, the I value, actually the value is somewhat there. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I and I understand. Like, you know, it's look. We I just talked for like twenty minutes about how Jaden McDaniel's is Jesus Christ, but like, like Julius Randle is very much not the type of player you put next to Cat and expect him to like, you know, help like mitigate some of his defensive weaknesses. Right? We know that. But like offensively, the fit between those two would be very interesting. Um, you know, you would need to have a strong point guard in the mix, and obviously that's like. It's kind of weird because, like, to your point, I don't think D'Lo is necessarily what Chris Finch wants from that position. Not that he, like, doesn't like him yeah. as a player, but it's just not – he wants somebody, I think, that's a little bit more dynamic off the dribble. Um, but, like, if you can find that player somehow – and that doesn't necessarily need to happen right now. Like, I mean – team building is dynamic. It's always happening, right? So sometimes you make a move understanding you still need to do something else later on to really unlock everything. Um, and I guess, like, just looking at that, a, a, a swap like that objectively, like, it would be very interesting uh, offensively. But, like, my point is more that um, I think if Minnesota is going to trade him and they are looking to move him or, you know, at least because they can't, agree to an extension or whatever the deal is. Uh, I would really want to get more talent on the wing if I were them. Like, I know Malik Beasley had a pretty good second half of the season, especially, and he had some moments in the playoffs, but um, I think there's more to be done there. Um, I do think they could use... Like, for me, just watching that Memphis series, and there's really no other way to put this... I just think they need more like intelligent players, like high processing yeah. intelligent players. Like they just there were too many stretches. I mean, this is well documented, right? Like, and I know Chuck went a little bit overboard, but like he's literally called the team dumb as rocks, and you watch them for stretches of that series, and you're like, well, hard to argue. Yeah, and and it's frustrating because like again, I thought they, especially game five to me, that was a game that like they should have won, and I thought they. You know, you talk about who has the best talent in the series, who has the best top-end talent. And, um, you know, if you want to say Ja and Jaron Jackson uh, are the are Memphis's two best guys, I think you say Ant and Cat would be Minnesota's two best guys. And I, I don't think the gap is there, really. Like, I think you can easily argue that even if you put Ja ahead of Cat and Ant, that both those guys – are better talents and arguably better players. I think they are better players. Yeah, at least in that, that series. Was, that's what was really frustrating. Was that I like obviously the the final score didn't reflect it, but I thought the Wolves were a much better team. Um, the, the issue was they just forgot how to play basketball in the fourth quarter, and when shit started to hit the fan, Memphis really came together, and Minnesota kind of came unhinged. And and that'll happen. And I think I don't know. Obviously, I don't know know even if it's getting rid of guys and bringing in way more intelligent players could just be finch kind of inserting himself more and calling more plays as opposing to just as opposed to just really trusting his guys so yes and and i think um 
you know, look, I've been. Sorry, I, that, that, that's also a function of youth, though, right? Because Ant is, I mean, he's still figuring out how to balance a lot of the things. Do you think Ant kind of grew as a decision maker? And do you see that being like something that's going to continue to improve? Or do you think, you know, whether it's a, a point guard who can kind of, um, you know, rein everybody in a little bit, or if it's Finch, like, you know, how much would you just expect time to heal those kind of things? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. So, uh, Ant said, so I asked Ant, um, during exit interviews, um, you Flex. know, my, 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 <laughs> yeah, my question to Ant was pretty much, um, just asking him like, you know, you scored the most points in a series of a player your age in NBA history. But Kat was kind of just up here saying, like, you did it without even thinking. You just kind of went out and played. And Ant totally agreed with that. He said pretty much, like, I'm, I've got to go back and watch a ton of film. I missed a ton of reads. I've got to get better at, you know, making the right play as opposed to trying to hit the home run um, or, or make the flashy play. And Finch said a really similar thing, honestly. Um, you know, I asked Finch pretty much the exact same question, and he went off on a on a really long answer, basically saying, you know, that that Ant is an incredible talent and just has to kind of round out his game a little bit. He doesn't really have to add a whole lot else. He just kind of has to to fine tune some things, and a big part of that is is really understanding, you know, what the right play is in every single situation, how to more effectively change speeds. Um, how to use his physicality more without like going balls to the wall, if you will. Like Luca is a great example of that can be really physical and slow the game down in the half court, just make the right read every single time. Um, so I think with Ant, it's definitely a function of youth. Like he hasn't been there a bunch, but, um, but Ant also said like any way that I can go get better, I'm going to go get better. And he said he was going to be a better shooter this year. And he was an electric shooter this year. So I, I trust Ant to, to get better with that type of thing. But to your point, Stacey, it, it definitely is a function of, of youth and an inexperience. And the fun thing for the Wolves is that, you know, hopefully this is just all one big learning experience before, you know, we see Anthony Edwards take, you know, another leap next Dad, season. It reminded me a little, like watching the Wolves, I think you're a spot on that there's a strong argument they're the better team. Um, you know, I, I think that the fourth quarter stuff is part of it, and, and part of it is that that poise and all of that. But they they certainly have a ton of talent. It reminds me, they're not quite as stacked with like three future MVPs as those teams, but it does remind me of the Thunder teams, right? Um, I remember there was a series where they pushed, I think they were the eighth seed, and they pushed Kobe's Lakers to, to six games. Um, Durant spent a lot of time guarding Kobe. Um, oh, wow. Durant they... actually defended somebody that's good at basketball? That's impressive. Back way before Durant was reviled by many NBA fans, he was actually a fan favorite um, in Oklahoma City. And then, you know, there was the final series, obviously, where um, there were some back-breaking mistakes late in games. I'm not going to say they're better than a team. They're more talented than a team with LeBron and D-Wade, but they certainly seemed to underachieve in that series due to youth, right? Um, so I think that the Thunder were a team that I could think of multiple occasions where I would have said, you know, they had the talent to win this, 
and it's just a function of kind of that youth at the time. Uh, and I think there's other teams like that too. You know, people would talk about the Magic from the '90s. Um, you know, the, some of those Sonic teams. So um, it's always interesting with a young team whose talent kind of outpaces their age and their experience. Um, and yeah. uh, interesting to watch them evolve. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, and a lot of people are saying, "Cat, it's your seventh year." You know, what the fuck? You got to be better. But I think for Cat, he only played in one playoff series, and we all know that playoff basketball is a hell of a lot different than regular season basketball. And anybody that's followed the Wolves has known that the Wolves have failed miserably to put players around Cat that fit him and help make his life easier. And this is the best team that Cat has ever had around him. He said it's the most fun he's ever had playing basketball. And, you know, he said he feels really confident about, you know, looking in the mirror and understanding what his weaknesses were in this series and working with the coaching staff and development staff to, to create an offseason plan to get better at, you know, some of the, some of the issues that he had specifically with, with double teams. Um, and you just, you just see way more of that type of shit in the playoffs than you do in the regular season. So I main thing for me is I'm just excited to see how these guys respond. Um, you know, these guys are young and fun and said they want to be here and play another playoff game right now just because it's intoxicating. And, you know, hopefully that that type of buzz can can carry you into uh, carry you into a summer and get better. And, and Schwinn, just to add on to your Jaden McDaniels is Jesus Christ uh, point. Um, we asked Pat Bev um, what guys he was going to work with this summer or if he was going to kind of try and take Ant and Jaden under his wing. Um, Patrick Beverly said he's going to take Jaden with him and go work out with Kawhi all summer. Um, so. Yeah, I, I I would like that for Jaden. Um, I despise Patrick Beverly, sadly, who I find <laughs> to be an insufferable fucking loser. Um, but – uh, hey, think, t- takes takes one to know one, right? Exactly, exactly. I would know. <laughs> um, but like, I just to go back a little bit on the youth thing. Like, I think where I don't fully agree with that is like, Cat is young, sure. Like, he's what twenty six, I think, right? Um, yep, yep. But he is what is this? His was this his seventh year in the league? Sixth yep, year, seventh year, seventh year, seventh. Yep, yeah. Seven. And so, like, to me, at some point, the young thing, like, is he, he's young in the sense of, like, in real life. Yes. And I said, I said inexperience. Like, okay. Yeah. And he doesn't have playoff experience. He only had five games of playoff experience. And it was as an eight seed where he, where he wasn't the focal point of the team. Right. So it's it's just different. it, It definitely is. But I just, like, to me, there were just so many things in that series with him where you're, like, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to, I don't care about the, whatever, his weird interviews where he's like changing his voice or any of that. that that's whatever. <laughs> I don't care about that. But like, like in the game, in key moments, there are just so many times where you're like, like, I forget. It was game, it was game three, right? That was the game where the Wolves blew like two 20 point leads. Yep. Um, there was in the fourth quarter, Jaron Jackson Jr. picks up his fifth foul, like very early in the quarter. I think it was maybe eleven, eleven thirty left in the game. And then Cat goes right down yeah, and picks and, up his fifth foul. Right. And it's like that moment right there, and that's just like one moment, but there were several throughout that series where you're like, 
do you fundamentally understand like your importance to the team? Do you 100%. understand? And, and like, and, and, and that's a legitimate, that's a very legitimate knock on him. It's that, and it's him oh not my God. being able to, and it's, it's that, and it's him not being able to control his emotions. Something you would also know a lot about. Yes, um, I do. And it's like, it's actually like, like, it's funny because obviously Kat is a different level of talent than Julius Randle. Like, especially. You're going to say than you, but. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, let's not go overboard. I'm a very different talent than Kat. Uh, but like, like he's clearly a, but like they're, the things that drive people nuts about them are extremely similar. Like it's it's not about they're intangibles. Yeah, it's like it's not about do you have talent. Like everybody knows yeah. Julius Randall has talent, right? Like what drove us nuts this year is all of the stuff that he locked in on last year. He just totally gave back again, and and yeah. we saw that in the playoffs last year too against Atlanta, where like once he started struggling on offense, you know the defensive effort and and energy went with that, and. Um, his lack of trust in teammates, reading the floor against stacked defenses, stuff like that. Like it's, and and I don't want to turn this into a Randall thing, but like when I watched Cat in that series, it was like a higher level of talent of than Julius Randall, but exhibiting so many of the issues that we had with him. Yeah, and with Randall, with Randall, it feels like almost an apathy thing, and with Cat, it feels like a you know over emotional thing, where then. Cat it's like he's a hormonal teenager. Like I'm like, dude, can you like relax? Yeah, I mean, like the like, thing, and, and to Cat's credit, he was much much better in games four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in game one, was was really good after a really really bad playing game. Um, and to Cat's like like I said, to Cat's credit, he's responded. And the biggest question mark for him moving forward in his career has absolutely nothing to do with basketball. It has everything to do with are we going to see the cat from game three and the playing game or are we going to see the cat that we saw more so in games one whatever one five and six where he's just much calmer internalizing things and and it's a very real question moving forward Schwinn, and it's undoubtedly the thing that that frustrates wolves fans the most with, without a doubt yeah and it's like it's one of those things where because i think he's he's got two he's got a does he have a fifth year player option? No, it's guaranteed, right? The fifth year on his deal. Yeah, because um, it's a rookie max. So he right. he's eligible. So assuming he makes third team All NBA, which I think we all assume he will, he's eligible to sign the five year two hundred one million dollars super max. So if he does sign that this off season, he would be here for seven more seasons, and that perfectly matches up with Anthony Edwards, um, who is eligible to sign his rookie max after next season. Um, or at the end of, or towards the end of next season. So their timelines would match perfectly where assuming they both signed the maxes, they would both be under contract for the next seven seasons. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to do it if you're Minnesota and that's hundred percent. They will. It's uh, yeah. And, and, but it's also one where like, like it's just moments like that. And you know, look again, he's 26, which is young, but it's like in NBA years that's not you're not considered young anymore. and that's one thing yeah. that you should have figured out by now for sure. right and it's just um, like it's like that's that's the one where it's like is he worth that contract yeah almost definitely but it's like you're ultimately like committing to him as are you you can be 
the best or second best guy on a championship team. And it's like, once you start looking at it from that perspective, that's where like, I worry about him because, because I just like, like he has these freakouts. It's probably the best way to put it. Like where you're like, what? Like, I understand you can be upset with officiating, right? Because I do think he gets like a pretty inconsistent whistle to say the least. Um, But like, he has to like, and and this is stupid because it shouldn't be like this. But he doesn't help himself with the refs with how he reacts to stuff. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and it's like that's the stuff where I'm like, are you going to get it? Because I'll tell you this: this is what it reminds me of. One of my issues with Carmelo when he was on the Knicks was amazing talent, great score, like no. Like offensively, you know, I, I personally think like was a top five player for much of his time in New York, just offensively anyway. Yeah. Um, and but one issue I always had with him was he was so prone to these games where guys who should not never be in his head could get in his head and throw him off his game and he'd turn it into like a kind of like I got to prove myself thing and like. I will never forget the game where I was finally like, you know what, like, we we just have to move on. This was like his last year in New York. We were playing the fucking 76ers, I think. And they had, this was back when they had Justin fucking Anderson on the team. And Justin fucking Anderson. Noted enforcer Justin fucking right. Anderson. Yeah, Justin fucking Anderson gets, like, he, like, starts kind of, like, you know, hitting mellow after the whistle. Like, doing the shit that, like, gets under your skin. and. And, and Melo, like, turned this game into this one-on-one showdown with Justin Anderson. And the Knicks lose the game. Melo has a terrible shooting game, right, because he's forcing up bullshit. And I just remember watching that game and being like, yeah, look, if, he's not, if, he's, if he doesn't get it now, he's literally never going to get it. And obviously Cat is much younger than Melo was at that point. I think Melo was 32 or 33. Cat is 26. So, like... And, and this is something I have tried, like, I fail at this all the time, but I try to be conscious of is, like, don't write guys off too soon. And it's hard, right? Because you don't know when is too soon for certain players. But with Cat, like, the talent is there, so you probably shouldn't write him off too soon. Um, but it's like, I watch, like, I just wonder with him, like, is that maturity going to come? Is that intangible yeah, I, growth I'll, going to be there? I'll jump in super quick and make this super quick. So. <laughs> The thing with Cat is I think he's got one last chance. And the reason for this is that I think Cat understood what the consequences of that, you know, overreaction and letting the refs impact his game did to his game in the playoffs, in high stakes moments, in what is essentially a winner go home game in the play in game, because you're you knew you were gonna lose to Phoenix in the first round. So even if you did make it out of the second play in game. So he saw the impact of what happened in the playoffs and you'd hope that that would drive him to change that or focus on improving that more so than a random regular season game would where your team is still winning games because it's the regular season and not a lot of these games are super consequential, you know, where that might not influence you to improve or drive change or be better. Um, So you'd hope that Cat sees okay this happened in the playoffs I really let my team down and when I didn't do that my team was really fucking good in the playoffs um so that that's all that's all I got with Cat I mean I 
he's a phenomenal player. He's a really, really good human being. He really cares. And, um, and he, he, frankly, he doesn't know the fan base or the organization, a damn thing for the way that he's been treated over the course of his career. Um, but he still shows up and does everything he can in the community for his teammates on the floor. Um, and that's what you saw in that moment where everybody was like, oh, he's trying to look, he's trying to be Kobe. Blah, blah, blah. Like, Carl was showing appreciation for something that he has never had before. And that's a fan base that truly gave a shit and helped him rediscover the joy in basketball. So you can get mad at me all you want to for saying that. But um, I, I was there. I saw that. I was 10 feet away, 20 feet away from Carl during that moment. I saw what that meant to him. Um, so I would hope that this whole experience that he's had this year would just influence him to, to change that next season. And do if he doesn't, think, then it'll never change. Do you think um, there is another, perhaps the first stretch big a lot of people can remember, who was called soft, right, a lot of his career um, in Dirk uh, until he won the ring? Um, there are many people who consistently call them soft. And a lot of the stereotypes are European players kind of played into it. But he was another big who often like to shoot threes and you know play kind of a perimeter game do you think that plays at all into the perception of cat uh, maybe unfairly as being you know soft um, or something like that potentially um so I, I think what i've learned more so about being around players more um and, and this started with being around the links last summer um is you know obviously they're, they're women basketball players, non-binary, non-binary, non-binary basketball players in some cases, and you have to remember the humanity of, of things. It's really easy to just be like, "Oh, this player's trash. This guy sucks. I hate him." Yeah, whatever, whatever. Just to have um, me, bro. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. <laughs> um, but I think for me, being around them, like. I don't see Cat as a basketball player. Like I see Cat as like the dude that I've asked questions to have talked to. Um, and it really frustrates me when I see that everybody wants to call Carl soft just because of everything that he's been through in his life um, is something that 99.99% of people wouldn't know anything about, wouldn't know what it feels like to go through that. Um, and the fact that he's come out of that on the other side you know, is, is still a really high level basketball player could have packed it up, had every reason to just hate life and, and, and pack it in, but he didn't. And I, I think that just shows like the strength of who he is as a person. Um, and so I, I try and remember that. Um, and so I'll never call cat soft because of that. Um, but I, I do think when, when people, you know, don't think about that context and just look at, you know, who he is in between the four lines, um, you know, I, I I think that, you know, it's unfortunate the way that a lot of people have, have tabbed him that. I mean, can't really defend a lot of the actions that he has that have driven people to cause to call him that. Um, it's not the term that I would use. I would use emotional at times. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it soft. Um, if other people want to call it soft, I mean, not going to get in a big argument. All I ask is just like, when you want to call a person soft and they've lost, you know, six, seven family members to COVID in the span of two years, including your mom, like just try and put yourself in, in that guy's shoes. Um, Cause it, 
it is a very, very different reality. Um, so I, I try and just see the humanity in, in some of these guys a little bit more, but I understand that that, that may not be the case for, for some other people. Like like you try with John Moran, right? Like what? Like, like you try with John Moran, right? Like to, to relate to him and understand. Like yeah, I mean... <laughs> I... All right, Schwinn. I mean... <laughs> There's so many emotions going through Jack's head right now. He doesn't know what to say. Um, no, look, I, I, I agree with that. I think I don't think Cat is soft. I think, and I, I'm sure I've called him soft 5,000 times. Um, but, like, I think what he is is somebody who doesn't always have full control over his emotions. Yeah, um, that's fair. And that's, that's fine. Like, that's most people, quite frankly. Um, it's just like, again, the consideration here is this is a guy that, like, I'll be flat out, like, part of the reason why he's such a frustrating player for me and why I've probably been overly critical of him is, like, the talent is oozing from him, right? Like, he is literally an indefensible scorer. He is that good, right? The shooting... His post, I mean, I think, like, he's such a good shooter now that people have forgotten that he's also just a great post player. Like, he's a phenomenal post scorer. His touchdown there is great. His, his driving really took a step forward yeah. this year. And, and so, like, I think what's really frustrating for me is when you see that talent and you see games where he's, like, so utterly dominant and then he just can't consistently deliver that high level um, – now there are guys that that it takes longer, and maybe he's one. Like like you just outlined, he's been through a ton, and that can impact you professionally. I mean, he talked about before the season how like he had kind of like he I, I forgot what the exact quote is, but he was talking about how like he didn't like love the game really, like he wasn't there. Like he yeah, I, he he yeah. lost the joy in basketball, right. and and he he has explicitly said that Anthony Edwards has helped him find it, and when you see what ant the person is like you can you can probably see why that's the case it's almost like uh it's like winning i don't know if you guys saw the last episode of winning time but essentially kareem's character says something to that effect to a rookie magic johnson so yeah and i just think like it's you can understand why like maybe he is a little bit behind where we anticipate not even a little i think it's fair to say he's quite a bit behind what people anticipated he would be after his first season in the league, especially. There were people at that time, I remember Anthony Davis was still in his prime and had previously been like the consensus answer for like, if you had to pick one guy to build a team yep. around and people yep. started and Cat became, I think, I think it was a GM poll or he was won. number one. Yeah. yeah and I think Giannis hadn't become Giannis yet, but um, you know, that, that is no light praise that Cat was getting. So, yeah. So like, I just like, you just wonder when is that leap coming? And it's frustrating because, again, like, you see the talent. Like, you can – it's so easy, right? Like, it's so easy for him sometimes. And yet, like, you watch games where you're like, why are you making it so tough? Um, but, yeah, like, I guess, uh, you know, to, to switch back to more broader Wolf stuff, uh, you know, they've had – I think it's over the last three or four years – there's been a lot of roster turnover. Um, obviously, uh, our good friend now, uh, Gerson Rosas, uh, was responsible for a lot of that. 
do you think this is a team and a roster that they will try to make a big move this offseason? Or do you think it's more like, you know, see what happens with D'Lo and otherwise it's just margin stuff? Um, because to me, like, yes, they're a young team, but we know with how the league works now and contracts and everything that, like, you don't get to keep a group of, like, five, six, seven, eight guys together for very long. And I think one of the things, like, we see this with Atlanta, right? Um, where, like, I don't want to say they got complacent, but it's like you can overvalue keeping it together versus yeah, trying to make sure. a bigger move on the for roster. Sure. And I think with the Knicks even, we saw that this year, that, you know, sometimes continuity is a bit overrated. Um, so I guess, like, do you think that they're better served kind of keeping shit together? Or are you of the opinion that, like, hey, look, like, it's best to strike while the iron is hot. And, like, we've got Ant on a rookie deal. We've got Jaden on a rookie deal. You know, this is the time to, like, add talent and see if we can make that next step in the Western Conference because the league for is in a very interesting space where, like, I don't know if I've ever seen the league where there's this much parity. Like, you look at each of these Eastern right. Conference semifinal series and – or the, it's not Eastern, but Eastern and Western Conference, but, like, these round two series and, like – I, I don't think it's easy to just pick a winner. Um, and can, most of these series can go either way. So it's just like, I wonder, like, with Minnesota, given the talent of Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards that we've talked about, like, do you think that, like, this is a moment where, like, hey, look, like, if we have an opportunity, this is a great time to fucking go for it. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to add in is, like, injuries have completely thrown the playoffs into disarray the last this year and last year like there have been big injuries to big players that have completely turned the tide of series and ultimately changed the complexion of the playoffs like had you know minnesota been the eighth seed maybe phoenix doesn't make it out of the first round with the devin booker injury maybe you know if um you know the bucks might lose this series because chris middleton is hurt um, and a lot of people thought that they were going to be all the way. I mean, obviously with Philadelphia and Embiid. So if anything, it just shows you that once you get to the playoffs, truly anything can happen because of the parity that you're talking about. Um, and as it relates to the Wolves, like I, I penciled in the Wolves in, in our prediction article at going 42 and 40, and I thought they'd be the eight seed. Um, and they went, I think, 44 seven and 35 or something like that, or 46 and 36. Um, and they were the seven seed. So um, was pretty close to that on paper. And I think like that, that was probably fair to, to think that's where they end up based, just based on paper. But, but what uh, Sachin Gupta said is that, you know, friend of said, the pod, Sachin Gupta. Yeah. Yeah. First, first <laughs> Indian to ever run a, run a front office legend. Um He's, he's awesome. Schwinn secretly runs the dicks, by the way, so and he has for a while. <laughs> um, no shame in being number two, I guess. Um, so, um, but, but I have the exact quote here from, from Gupta. So he was asked if the roster needed significant changes. He said, we'll take a closer look, but I don't think it's significant changes. He said, I feel like this season has been a success, but our goal is to make the playoffs, but the expectations change now, which is obviously true. Um but he said the good thing about the roster is that it hasn't hit its ceiling yet and there's still a ton of room to grow. Um, and he said the core foundation is here for us to work with. And so whether you think that includes D'Angelo Russell, whether you think it's, it doesn't, um, 
is up for interpretation, but I think the Wolves are in a good spot because they've they've got two really good wing defenders and Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, and then you have a good point of attack defender and Patrick Beverly. You also have Jared Vanderbilt back. So they have a lot of pieces that are useful in a playoff series. Um, so in terms of making moves in the margins, could they get more guys um, – that, that help fill kind of smaller needs like defensive rebounding is definitely one. Like I think if they got it more of a rim running five, uh, that was a really good rebounder. Like Mark Williams is kind of the perfect, um, the perfect fit guy to, to fill those, those roles. Um, for any people that are, they're a big fan of, uh, Prez and all of his sons. Um, but so, so he's an option. There aren't a whole lot of options in free agency. So I think, you could see a trade to address that uh, potentially, Schwinn. But, but like, I mean, I don't think even I don't even think trading D'Angelo Russell is like a significant, significant move. You know, like I, I, I think that he was important to what the Wolves did this year, but I don't think that that's like removing a pillar of a skyscraper. You know, like I, it's it's not the biggest. No, most most seismic, impactful move the team can make. So I, I think it'll be more kind of marginal stuff um, that that really just kind of accentuate what Cat and Ant can do and, and help mitigate some of the glaring weaknesses that that we saw in the playoffs. Because outside of you know, rebounding um, and maybe maybe just getting more more of a floor general point guard out there, that the Wolves really don't have many many weaknesses that are super abusable uh in the playoffs um yeah uh i guess before uh, i know you have to get out of here pretty soon jack so um i did want to ask you uh because i think this is an interesting question anyway you know watching i was watching the playoff games last night obviously and um you know my ever evolving scale of jalen brunson um was was evolving yesterday uh, i thought like look he had a really rough first two games but yesterday was really impressive from him like the ability to finish over length and all that kind of stuff that he struggled with um it was really positive to see him adjust and, and have a really effective game i think he won it 22 points or something um and 28 yeah he i mean he was really really just fucking great yesterday um and i just like i i do wonder and, and this is where it's tough because, like, is he better than Emmanuel quickly right now? Yeah, probably. Almost. I think that's very fair to say. Um, but it's I would like, say it's undeniable, honestly. I don't think there's yeah. an argument for it otherwise. Yeah. And, and so, like, I think the, the question, though, for me is more like, okay, now, is he good enough that if you pay him the contract – and this is where, like, I differ from – Probably like present me have argued about this constantly, and Jeremy too. Or like, I don't buy this idea that if you sign Jalen Brunson, like quickly is going to get twenty five minutes and he's going to be super happy. And like, I, I just I don't see that. Like to me, if you sign Brunson, you're paving the way for quickly to leave at some point, and that's you know I would hate it, but I don't think that's like an unreasonable train of thought if you're the front office, right? Um, but like, like, I guess my question is: Is Brunson so good that he's moving the needle enough to justify all of that? Like, I, I don't know. It's it's really hard well, to parse through it. And like, I, I guess for me, it's just like, you know, 
I truly think that like quickly has the ability to be a high end starting point guard in the NBA. Like I think we saw a massive leap from him this season. Um, obviously because Tibbs is psychotic, we didn't get a chance to start him because Alec Burks is the one true point guard. Um, but like, I, I just, I feel like you're, it's, it's just really frustrating because I actually think for once the Knicks have a guy that they should be invested in at that position um, and has proven it. And like, it would just, it would just be very frustrating for me, maybe on an unreasonable level to bring in somebody like Brunson, who I think is really good, but is pretty firmly for me, a non all-star level player at that position. Right. Um, and I just think I feel like that part of it would be frustrating. So I'm like, well, if you're not getting an all-star at that position, is that really worth it then to, to make the, the move? Obviously the pushback on that is like one, he definitely would make the team better just on the virtue of being better than Alec fucking Burks and Kemba Walker, who were basically the starters the entire season. Um, and also the fact that like, maybe he's a guy who is part of a package that you eventually make to get the level of talent you need to compete right. at the top of the end. Right. So my, my question is, is obviously I, I have not watched Emmanuel Cookie like you guys have, um, you know, I, I, I watch the Knicks a decent amount just because they're on TV all the time. Um, and, and I guess where the where it boils down to, I guess, for me as a, as a third party is whether or not you see Emmanuel quickly is purely a point guard. Um, because, I mean, we've seen with Jalen Brunson, like, you know, they have they have two lead guards, essentially, in Luka and him this year. And it's worked really, really well for them. Their half-court offense has been really good. Um, you know, they, they slow things down, they execute in the half court and Tibbs kind of seems like he could be similar in, in theory, uh, with that type of offensive philosophy. Um, even though he probably shouldn't just with how many athletes the Knicks have and how good they are at getting out and running in transition. Um, so I, I, I truly think the two of them can coexist. Uh, and I do think it would be important for quickly to develop more of his, off the ball skills, just because I think that he's so the potential for him. And he is, has thrived is, in that role, by the way. Um, he yeah, like he's that role next to Rose as a rookie, and he was obviously really successful in that. So. He, he's great attacking off the catch. I really enjoy watching him uh, attack off the catch. Um, and and the biggest question, if if you do go that route of having both of those guys play, is you know both of them being mad about their role. Like I'm sure Jalen Brunson would love to just be like a team's pure starting point guard and not have to like, you know, share the ball half the time with another guy that's going to initiate offense. But also like that's kind of where we're at in the NBA now. Um, so it boils down to is quickly a pure point guard. Can the two of them survive? and somewhat thrive defensively next to one another because quickly is what six 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 three one eighty and Brunson's six one and I think that's one eighty uh, that's the bigger question I think I think the question of them coexisting on offense isn't that one um, I think the argument that like guys like Prez and Jeremy have used is that uh, Tibbs has played quickly with Derek Rose in the past uh, the argument that someone like Sean would have is Rose is still quite a bit bigger. And it's not even just that. So Tibbs himself is pretty stubborn about those things. So there's the question of would he even be willing to try out quickly in Brunson? Yeah, and and yeah. just and, and just then, to but be, there's some reason to believe and that you'd be right, right? And, and, and just to, just to be clear, like if you told me today, 
Tibbs would play them together and quickly would get 25 minutes a game, then I'm like, okay. Like, then there's no, should we do it? Should we, like, then there's no question for me. I just question if Tibbs would, would do it. Okay. Yeah, because, like, he does and, and I don't, and I, and, and I also, I don't actually think, like, looking at a Brunson quickly pairing, like, I don't think it's unreasonable or, like, like Tibbs does a lot of things that I think are unreasonable. Th- him viewing that pairing, potentially, and being like, this would be too weak defensively because of size or whatever, like, I actually don't think that would be an unreasonable opinion to have. Like, that's completely... Well, you want to know where my mind goes. You want to know where my mind goes as the third party. Brunson, quickly, Barrett, Toppin, and just for the sake of the exercise, let's just say Robinson. That reminds me a lot of Utah. Two guys... Yeah, Utah, baby. Two two guys on the perimeter that are undersized, that are not great defenders. Two really, really solid or potentially solid defensive wings. And a really, really good defensive center that doesn't offer you a whole lot offensively. Like, Taj I Gibson. think... <laughs> game 83 hero Tosh Gibson, or game 82 hero Tosh Gibson. Um, yeah, and like, obviously... Where Utah's been is like way better than where the Knicks have been the last couple of years, I guess. And so you're um, saying that when but, the Knicks acquire Utah's star player, it'll feel just like home to them. Figuratively and literally, yes, <laughs> yes, it could. Um, so that I guess that's the biggest the biggest downside of, of the potential of those two. I think they're two really really talented offensive players. I enjoy watching them both a lot. Um, but you know, I I think that. What what they could offer offensively would be like really interesting to see play out, but I, I just worry about what would happen defensively because ultimately, if if you're the Knicks, like, and you're making that big of an investment in a guy like Brunson, you have to think about how that would look in the playoffs. Um, and I just don't know how that how those two coexist and 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 thrive in in a playoff setting on the defensive end of the floor. Um, yeah, so I do. Think I guess I'm to, Team Schwinn on this argument, but I don't know. It would have to be a situation where I think that they would they would have to play against bench units, right? I think quickly would be coming off the bench in that case. He wouldn't be starting as the two, and they'd probably get nine minutes or so together against bench units. So the way he gets to 25 minutes is you know Brunson plays 32, quickly gets 16 minutes as a backup. And then he gets another nine playing the two next to Brunson um, against bench units. So who would you start? What? So who would start? It would probably be Grimes or if they keep one of Burks or Fournier. Uh, I think you'd probably start Grimes at the two next to RJ. Um, I also think one thing that would help them, especially in this draft, um, is getting a versatile wing. If you do, or like, you know, one of those like monster six, eight, six, nine wings, the Knicks have Cam and really no one else in that mold. RJ is, you know, six, seven with a six, 10 wingspan. There's guys like Tari Eason, Jeremy Sohan, who kind of fit that mold in the draft. Um, so playing a couple of those guys, like Toronto is able to get away often with playing two six-foot guys in the backcourt um, because they just have a, an assembly line of 6'10 switchable guys behind right. them, right? So I think that could make up for it. Um, and um, yeah, so and, and I think the other thing that helps is I think Brunson has like a 6'7 wingspan. Quickly has got like a 6'10 wingspan. So I don't know that, and I think, you know, quickly gained some strength this year. We'll see if he can continue to do that. 
I think those things could mitigate it more so than, you know, um, Brunson, I think, has another gear he can reach as a defender. I've never been impressed with his defense, but he's strong, good length. Like, I think it could work for nine to 10 minutes a game. And I think at least for next year, that's really all you need to keep quickly developing, keep giving him reps both on and off the ball, uh, and give him, you know, substantial minutes where he can contribute. And I, and I, I did I have one like other him. question. I would for... like him as a six man. I think he could be really, really good as a six man. I don't know if he'd love it, but yeah, and I do I, have I mean, one other question for Jack before you go. But I'll save yeah, that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say is like I think the point Jeremy has made, and it's not an unfair one, is just like if you have forty eight minutes of solid point guard play, like you know, it's more like what's more important, like giving quickly 32 minutes a night or having 48 minutes of point guard play. Um, And so like, that's the balance. And also to your point, Jack, like, yeah, like it's Utah has become a meme now because they have basically hit their ceiling and that's it. Like there's nothing else there. Um, But you can't like, you can't skip skip steps, right? You don't go from where the Knicks are to contender. Like that doesn't like you have to make in between steps, and Brunson maybe helps you get to that next level, and then at that point you have to figure out okay how do we now get to the, the a level beyond that? But like and you can't and skip that step. That's, and ironically, that's where the wolves are right now. So it's kind of fun that the wolves are kind of like you kind of look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, Stacy, go ahead, and then I think uh, Jack's got to get out of here. So yeah, real quick, Jack, who is the starting quarterback for Michigan football next year? Oh my goodness, man. Um, I don't know. I hope it's JJ, man. I think I think he's got he's got the it factor that I think would be entertaining uh, with his legs. Um I don't know. I've just seen too many I've just seen too many Michigan quarterbacks that see a pocket collapse and poop their pants and don't know what to do because there's a lot of really really good edge <laughs> rushers in the Big 10. Um he was, he was I, impressive I, I, avoiding the rush against Georgia even. I mean, they probably yeah. pulled off the dogs a little bit, but he was he, I mean, he didn't take a sack that game. Yeah, and I think that it was kind of interesting the way that they used both of those guys um, in that he, he got some reps and made some pretty impressive throws on the run um, and obviously just gives you the, the, you know, the multiple offense of being able to run some RPO stuff is cool. Um, but who knows? What's the name of that quarterback that is local that they're trying to get? Oh, yeah, Dante kid. Moore. He's yeah. rumored to be a Notre Dame lean. So. Oh, that sucks. I hate do. Notre Dame. Well, actually, that was more just because of Brian Kelly. But, um, yeah, man, I'm excited. It's it's fun that they're not just like a perennial, oh, well, we know they're going to lose to Ohio State now. And I'm glad that I'm glad that my Vikings did not take Jim Harbaugh from Michigan because that would have been a that would have been a disaster for both sides but we'll see we'll see um all right well Jack thank you so much for coming on uh let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug absolutely um so our, our team at Canis Canis Hoopus is, is going to be getting into some offseason stuff talking about some of the the questions that we explored here um in, in terms of, you know, what do you do with D'Angelo Russell? You know, is it swing big and try and bring in another star like a Zach Levine, potentially, who's a free agent this year? Um, or, or like, like Shun was talking about, uh, you know, try and, try and build on the margins. So, so our, our team is going to be exploring a lot of that. Um, we've got season review stuff coming. Um, and, 
other than that, for me personally, man, um, just focusing a lot on a lot on the links um, this summer. So uh, it should be fun. But you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is at J-R-B-O-R-M-A-N-13. Um, follow us, Candice Hoopis, um, on Twitter and, and CandiceHoopis.com. Um, we'll have some some fun content throughout the summer. But uh, as always, you guys know I appreciate you and, and always love coming out. Thank you, man. Uh, and congratulations uh, again. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you. Plug anything that you'd like to plug. Uh, yeah, you can find me at StacyPatton89 um, on Twitter. Um, we are ramping up our draft coverage uh, at the Strickland. So Prez has already released a few draft profiles. Uh, I believe Chet Holmgren, a um, couple others. Minneapolis's own baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I should have a piece on Keegan Murray coming out within the next week or so. Uh, we're trying to get out as much as we can before the lottery and Mark Tatum's, uh, the dance we always do with the devil. I mean, Mark Tatum, uh, that every, the annual tradition for the Knicks. Yes. Uh, fuck Mark Tatum. Uh, hopefully he does something <laughs> good this year. Uh, I myself have not too much to plug. I, I will plug the podcast that I was on, uh, Chris Percy Einan, uh, for Knicks Film School. It's draft film school. Um, uh, so that, check that out. That, that dropped today. Um, and I'll plug, uh, the draft pod that, uh, Stacy was on with, uh, with friend of the pod, China Joe Flynn. Um, that uh, he did with Prez, uh, Draft Strickland. So that was that was a good episode, so I'll plug that. And uh, other than that, I got nothing. So I hope everybody has a great weekend. I hope the Celtics fucking lose. And I also hope that Memphis loses. Uh, that is our pod for today. Uh, and I will see everybody on Friday. <laughs>